I've never consumed this much Wonder Woman in my life. <laughs> I watched the movie this week, too. <laughs> Please tell me you're recording, because that's what this show is going to start with right there. Yep, that's, that, that, is, that is the pre-credit comment right there. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to edit this. I'm going to find some, like, eating sounds, like somebody like, <laughs> I've never consumed this much in Wonder Woman in my life. That's going to be the I've got to tell you, show. she's sitting in my stomach like a brick. Do you have the editing chores for this one, Scott? Getting the itis on I'll this. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. All right. That works for me. But Von Schmidt, he's escaping. Don't worry. The authorities are waiting for him and his crew. Wonder Woman, you're wonderful. Wonder Woman. You'll be mine, Wonder Woman. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is our big Wonder Woman 1984 shameless uh, coattail riding episode. <laughs> I've forgotten the introduction on score. What the hell does score stand for again? Shameless obligatory coattail riding episode. It doesn't actually spell score, but it's got all the letters in it. <laughs> It, it does soaker, does soaker which sounds like a kind of sore you get on your lip. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll run with that. So, uh, <laughs> speaking of sores so that, uh, that grow on your lip, I'm Chris Honeywell. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Scott Gardner, and uh, joined as always uh, by Paul Spataro, the producer. Hello. And also joining us for this one is our friend Aaron Henley. Aaron, this is your first time with us, isn't it? Correct. This is my first time on Back to the Bins. Welcome aboard. So as we like to do with uh, with our first-time guests on the show, give us your comic book origin story. My comic book origin story. Oh, boy. I owned one comic book. Where I lived, there wasn't a, you know, a, a LCS or anything. I had a... or a newsstand. I just had, like, a little spinner rack at my local grocery store, and... My very first comic that I remember buying off the rack was a Sonic the Hedgehog comic. Because <laughs> I wasn't allowed G.I. Joe, I wasn't allowed, uh, well, quite a few things. So I, 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 I was lim- limited in interest, and since Star Wars wasn't a, uh, back on the, on the racks at the time, I had to pick what something I was interested in. I'm like, oh, I like Sonic the Hedgehog. Then I kind of bought on and off comics when I you know first got my first job and you know I actually had some spending money and I worked in a mall that had a Walden books <sighs> so many memories anyhow <laughs> I got it I really got into the comics especially with Spider-Man around the time of the origin storyline with JMS writing uh-huh. and that's when I um, so you know right between that era and then the Civil War era and I had no idea who you know Iron Man and I knew Captain America, so when I was reading Civil War, I thought, oh, this is what these characters actually are like. <laughs> nope. Oh, I was wrong. <laughs> I was like, I don't like Mr. Fantastic. Why does everyone like Mr. Fantastic? He's a Nazi. What are you into these days as far as comics go? 
these days any it's anything and everything um thanks to other podcasts uh, actually back to the bins um I, I really opened up i'm you know i'll read just about anything and everything right now i just i mainly read uh, early post-crisis stuff and anything i can kind of get my hands on if if i hear a story is good i'll read it but more modern day stuff like uh, especially rebirth i loved for like the first couple years but once it started getting into this whole heavy metal death metal whatever spiky joker fight bat batman guy i'm like i'm out <laughs> i'm bored if you can't show me a character <laughs> who can see a reason give me a reason why a guy can see through a metal spike ring over his face i'm not interested in that character right well, one of the um, reasons I thought of you for uh, for this episode tonight, because so we're gonna we're going to take a look at some uh, some different Wonder Woman through the through the years. Probably talk a little bit about the movie as well. Although I will recommend something that just came out. Paul's episode of Is It Jaws actually reviewing the movie Wonder Woman 1984 is out now. So it'll be out you know for quite a while by the time this this episode gets posted. So hunt that up. You know that'll be a full discussion of the movie, but. Uh, I know Chris, for one, is is itching to talk at least a little bit about the film, so I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a bit about that. But essentially, our, our reason for doing this episode is again to shamelessly, you know, ride the coattails of, you know, the the wave of interest that's out there for Wonder Woman based on uh, this movie having just come out and everything. And I was trying to think, you know, I was trying to put some people together. Bill unfortunately couldn't make the recording, so I know that Paul, you know, whenever. Uh, either Bill or I can't make it, likes to bring in, uh, you know, guest host for the show. So being able to make it myself, I'm like, let me think of, you know, who would be really good to bring in on a, on a Wonder Woman episode? And I instantly thought of you, Aaron, because uh, you're the uh, the guy that bought my entire post-crisis Wonder Woman collection. Uh, what was that? Probably a couple of years ago now, right? Uh, God, when I put that up for sale, I, I had, I, I think it, it's it's been a while now. Um, but when yeah, I started my hard to first, judge time what, these days, yeah, and they're very well cared for and very well loved and very well read. I'll say that. <laughs> 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 I flipped through them just for the Perez artwork and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> it is. It's some really nice stuff. It, I was like, man, he, he was a machine. You know, him, John Byrne, they, all these guys in the 80s were just machines because, you know, they're putting, printing out these highly detailed books with, you know, anywhere from five to nine to, in Perez's case, 20 panels a page per month. Right. They're doing the pencils. They're doing the inking. They're doing the scripting. Yeah. And, and it all and it doesn't look rushed or or. No. It, it's all gorgeous, yeah. And, it, I, and, you know, it's all hand-drawn. There's no computers to help cover over some of the rough spots. There's, it, this was all, I think that's know, why the 90s lost me is because I think I, literally Perez and and um, Byrne, like, set such a high bar for art that, like, when the, the new breed of, like, really good artists who started doing a lot of stuff came out, it all just started looking junky after a while, and I was just like, you yeah. know. Not, it all started yeah. looking homogenous too when when digital coloring came out. I mean, I I used to love trying to figure out who the colorists were because you could kind of tell their styles. But now since it's all digital coloring, it's just who cares who the colorist is? 
I can say yeah. I never I never really got a grasp on identifying colorists. I can tell when I think a color job is good or not, but I can't like I I couldn't look at it and say oh that's such and such colorist style. I always remember was it Maria Severin would do color? Was it Maria Severin who would do color? Marie Severin was a penciler. I, I Are you think thinking like Glennis Ween? I might be thinking Glennis Ween. But she definitely did color. Yeah, and and I, and I always like and I always like when I saw her name I always was like okay this good good I like this. That that's exactly what I was thinking of. if I saw Linus Ween on an issue I'm like yeah. Cuz you know that back then they had limited palettes. They could only do so much with right. so many colors. I mean nowadays it's the sky's the limit but that's what I loved was getting like the purple skies and and trying to you know come up with these odd makeshift colors and it was just you got the tone of the story without it having to be you know 100% photographic uh, yeah i like i like shading done by crosshatch inking or even solid colors and stuff and when the and and there's too much shaded contouring going on for 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 my aesthetic sense these days if I you pull say. up marie Severin on mike's amazing world a, a fair bit of her credit is colorist so yeah she did do a lot of coloring is it yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. I, I wasn't sure if Mike tracked that or not, but yeah, it, it is tracked on there. Um, but yeah, it's even more than I thought, because I thought she just like occasionally colored things, or maybe I had seen her once or twice listed as a colorist, but no, there's a, a good bulk of her work. See, um, I always remember her, and, and I think her husband was Doug Severin? Brother 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 was john, john severin. severin john and i always looked yeah. for his art john. too i always liked his art i always liked both of their art actually their, their art styles were actually very similar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, if you look at like their facial renderings yeah. they they had very very similar uh stylistic uh tendencies i always thought that like it, well now that i know that they're siblings i i always just figured they like worked together so much that they just were picking up stuff from each other but if they were kids they were probably just learning to draw together and you know pick see i i had the conspiracy theory i had thought that uh you know that this was a time when when a female artist wouldn't get ahead in the game and that you know, he might have been saying it was his artwork when it was really hers, which is not the case. He was an artist of his own right. But but I had the conspiracy theory in my mind. That's a better story. <laughs> I prefer that story, and I'm running with it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Truth, truth be damned. <laughs> right, right. From now on, that's the story <laughs> I tell of the Severin twins. All you have to say, you know what? It doesn't have to be, even be a lie. You just say, I heard this somewhere. You're not. You're not saying the veracity and they were also identical twins <laughs> no they were conjoined twins separated at birth <laughs> well for this episode we have three books to cover uh, three books of uh, of varying quality and of, of interesting things to uh, to discuss so we're going to go ahead and jump into this here, and um, I think we'll just go ahead and we'll cover these in release order um, to, to make it interesting and fair. So that being the case, uh, I actually have the first book. <laughs> to be fair, I'm going first. 
<laughs> well, I like the way you think, sir. It. We didn't plan it that way. Actually, this first book was supposed to be Chris's no, book. No, we didn't. You very, did. <laughs> for a very good reason, we flip-flopped. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll talk about all that when we get there. But anyway. Was it supposed to be Chris's because it was by Vinny Coletta? No, no, no. It's just... You know, I I don't know. I just kind of randomly. Um, well, originally this was going to be, I think, Paul's book, and then I, you know, Chris threw out the idea. Hey, do you want me to do a get Chris on one of these books? And I thought, well, let let him do Paul's book. And Paul was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Save me the work. And then once I actually read the the two the first two books that we're going to talk about, once I read them, I realized no, this this will work much better if, if Chris took the next book. yeah yeah so. we'll we'll just give the next the, the psychic comic in a row with question questionable <laughs> racial stereotypes <laughs> in it oh good i'm glad i wasn't yeah <laughs> I, I, oh, we, we are allowed to talk about that okay oh yeah absolutely <laughs> all right so for our first book uh we're going to talk about wonder woman volume one number 232 now this one's cover dated june 1977 was actually they're on the stands according to mike's amazing world of comics on march 31st of 1977 so just before star wars was released cover on this is by mike nasser and if that's not a name that you're familiar with, you might know him these days by Michael Netzer. He actually uh, changed his name to Netzer. Uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. And inked by everybody's favorite, Vince Coletta. And uh, it's not a bad cover. It's uh, it's kind of interesting. It's uh, Wonder Woman in kind of a strange pose, kind of looking over her shoulder as uh, tanks are, there's like a little war going on, and a tank is actually blowing up the Sphinx in Egypt with the uh, pyramids in the background and uh, everything. It almost looks like if that one tank angled his blast just slightly to the right, it would have bounced off Diana's bracelet and blew up the Sphinx. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. She's making the the mind blown meme right now too from the internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, original cover price on this was a mere 35 cents. Uh, the story is called A Duel of Gods. Script, according to the credits inside, script by Martin Pascal. Now that's uh, Marty Pascal, who sadly just uh, passed away not long ago. Uh, based on a story by Alan Brennert. Art inside, uh, same as the, co- the cover on this, uh, art by Mike Nasser and Vinnie Coletta. Coloring by Liz Barub or Barubi. I'm not really familiar with this name. Okay, so here's your synopsis for this issue. So, defeated, trapped in an ancient temple by the creature known as Asira, Wonder Woman gazes upon her beloved Steve and hears her captor's mocking voice. The ancient destiny is fulfilled. I, Osira, have ended World War II. Not that we actually called it World War II at the time, but anyway. And now, not even you, Wonder Woman, can prevent me from ruling Earth together with my new mate, Steve Trevor. Dun, dun, dun. So, Wonder Woman's in Egypt, and she's battling this ancient evil from another dimension. Osira orders some minions to take Wonder Woman to a specially prepared chamber, similar to the one where she presently holds Justice Society members Sandman, the Atom, Starman, 
Mr. Terrific and Johnny Thunder captive. Uh, they do this, the minions, I mean. Uh, but being stupid, they leave our hero with her magic lash, though, which she, she immediately uses to... I'm not quite sure what she does with this. She <laughs> turns herself into a human top or something to escape? Uh, I didn't quite grasp exactly what she did to bust out, but... Uh, she but broke it is... the laws of thermodynamics is what she did. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it sure is drawn pretty. Uh, meanwhile, we and she, Steve she Trevor did, are treated to... Superman did to get to Lex Luthor's lair. You know, he just, just spun around really fast. But it's it's weird looking in the thing, because I, what I thought she was doing was, like, drilling a hole in the floor. And, and I guess that is what she does. But then the thing doesn't drop, like... It's like she yeah, drills, it, but then the she spins doesn't herself ever drop like a down top in a perfect floor. circle. Yeah, and she falls through that and right and, and digs through the entire <laughs> foundation instead of through the hole. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I think it's that kind one, of bizarre. It's yeah. very much like the way the Wonder Woman on TV was acting, though. So I think that's what it was. I think pe- uh, people like like the the little girl that was supposed to be reading this, or the the teenage boy that was reading this, <laughs> just was well, like. <laughs> Could see Linda Carter. Linda Carter did a lot of spinning, so. Considering oh, we, the, we will definitely be talking about the TV show, yeah. Yeah, considering the shot of her breaking out of that cell, definitely for a teenage boy. Oh, really, Scott? We're going to be talking yes. about Linda Carter? <laughs> Jeez. Yes, we will. Huh. Uh, meanwhile, we and Steve Trevor are treated to our Sira's origin story. Turns out she's a goddess from beyond the stars who came to Earth 9,000 years ago in a spaceship from another galaxy in another dimension because gas was a lot cheaper than I guess. Anyway, she and her mate quickly set themselves up as the masters of primitive man and brought us peace. Uh, In other words, they enslaved ancient Egypt and taught them, quote unquote, taught them how to build the pyramids from which she ruled over the land. Eventually, however, the people rose up, overpowered, and mummified the pair, meaning her and her mate. But wait a minute. She came to Egypt 9,000 years ago and was entombed for 3,000 years to emerge in present day. So what happened to the other 6,000 years? Does that mean she ruled for 6,000 years? I was kind of lost on the math in this. Anyway, Steve Trevor just wants to know where he fits into all of this. Turns out he bears a striking resemblance to Osiris' long-lost mate who didn't survive their centuries-long sleep. She intends to somehow give his disembodied spirit possession of Steve Trevor, uh, which, again, Steve just happens to resemble this guy. That's not really ever explained. So apparently he looks like Lyle Wagner. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Wonder Woman arrives, and she's kind of pissed. There's some really good fight-to-fight stuff, and uh, this leads to Osira uh, eventually releasing the JSA, whom she somehow mind-controls to attack Wonder Woman, who retreats somehow using her magic lasso to transport herself across miles of desert to Giza and the Sphinx, I guess? But I thought that's where they were already? Um, so yeah, uh, the mind whammy JSA members follow and there's some really excellent fisticuffs and such, uh, including Starman using his gravity rod to actually levitate and drop the Sphinx on Wonder Woman. 
However, the tide of battle is turned when Johnny Thunder's magic genie, who is not held under Osira's magic sway, uh, takes down Starman, enabling Wonder Woman to use her lasso to take the other members of the JSA out of the fight. Down, once again, to just her and Osira, Wonder Woman zaps the ancient alien with Starman's gravity rod, rendering her powerless. Defeated, Osira joins hands with the spirit of her dead mate, and they ascend into extraterrestrial other-dimensional heaven. (laughs) The end. So before we get into our thoughts and grades and everything on this issue, uh, a little bit of history about this. So because of the popularity and, more importantly, the period setting of the first season of the Wonder Woman TV show starring Linda Carter, DC Comics decided to create some synergy, or try to anyway, by shifting the focus of the comic book adventures of Wonder Woman to more closely reflect the time period that viewers were actually watching on the show. So starting in Wonder Woman 228, the Earth-1 Wonder Woman, the, you know, the one that readers had been following in the book for probably decades by that point, teamed up with and by issue's end actually took a back seat to the Earth-2, quote-unquote, Golden Age Wonder Woman. So that's who we are seeing here. Um, from Wonder Woman 228 through 243, and also subsequently uh, her run as a co-feature in World's Finest, issues 244 through 250, the solo adventures of Wonder Woman that kids were reading were all about the Earth 2 wartime era Wonder Woman. The Earth 1 version did continue to appear regularly in the Justice League of America book and also the Super Friends spinoff comic. Uh, and she also popped up for one shot guest appearances in Brave and the Bold and Super Team Family during the time. Now, as often was the case for both of the big two when it came to try to ride the coattails of some fad back in the day, like, say, disco, uh, it turns out that DC was just a little bit late jumping on this particular time-hopping bandwagon because on September 16th, 1977, the first episode of Season 2 of the Wonder Woman TV show hit the airwaves, having moved from ABC to CBS. And as a result of being on a new network, one of the demands of the new network was that they wanted to get Diana out of the costly period setting. The result being that when Wonder Woman number 238 hit the stands just two weeks later after this episode premiered, you know, the first episode of the new season, the setting, the setting, which they had changed to match the show, was now wrong. The show was now set in the present day and the comic was stuck in World War Two. So, you know, they ended up basically they, they they caught the tail end of a wave, but then they were stuck with it because now uh, because they'd started all this and apparently they're they weren't talking to each other. or so, There was no like good communication or whatever. Wonder Woman in the comic is in the middle of an ongoing multi-part epic that would be another five months before the actual star of the book, you know, the Earth One present day Wonder Woman would return to the title and straighten everything out again. So it's just kind of funny that they did all this, which was kind of a neat idea to match up with the TV show. And then it only lasted a couple of months and then they're out of sync for like five months. So it was kind of a weird, uh, a weird time in the whole thing. But yeah, there's a, a very purposeful reason why this to a certain degree resembles uh, the TV show. 
So that's your uh, that's your history lesson for the episode. <laughs> what did you guys think of this? This was some goofy shit. Um, I love the uh, Chariots of the Gods font at the beginning yes. of it, which was also that's also a bandwagon to jump on at that t- in 1978 too. I'm sure, and it's set in Egypt with ancient gods. So that that was uh, I didn't I didn't catch that until we just were until I was just paging through it again. I'm like, wait a minute. So they're I'm definitely brought that up because I caught it on the read. You know, when I read it initially, because this is my first time reading this book. And when I read it initially, I caught that immediately. And then when I was making my notes and synopsis and everything today, I totally forgot to write that down. So I'm glad <laughs> you brought that up. But yeah, it is totally the chariots of the god mm-hmm. font uh, from the Van Dyne Van Dynekin I would not have book. made that 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 catch but that's a good one aaron what did you think once you brought into the wonder woman tv series i suddenly started picturing those two guys who just decide you know to leave wonder woman her you know one major weapon <laughs> <laughs> and, and and one speaking that you know confiscating the lasso is on this is it I cannot do accents to save my life. <laughs> One doing the German accent, all I can think of is, oh, that's Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're not only stupid, but they discuss how stupid they are as a way. This surely won't end with us getting our heads conked together. This is just, um, it's an issue. I mean, it would keep you entertained for like 20 minutes and you'd read it and never read it again. Because... Um, <laughs> I mean, the bad guy gets a happy ending. Right. Um, it's just... This one's a really somewhat happy me. ending. She, she's dead. <laughs> but she well, gets she gets to hang out with her know, boyfriend. In the afterlife with her hubby, who... Yeah. Forever, so... Yeah, wonder, as, uh, when we get into mine, we'll see there's a sort of consistent uh, thing where, where Wonder Woman will just sort of have a bittersweet death of the enemy and just be like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't so bad. And, and, and then we have the classic G.I. Joe, oh, the Sphinx is busted. Oh, uh, don't worry, we'll fix it. Time to, <laughs> yeah, time to fix the Sphinx yeah. off screen. <laughs> We're just going to fix this ancient piece of historical significance. An, ar- an archaeological undertaking that would probably take about 50 years. I'm just going to go whip over there and, and throw it back together. And all the pottery the inside funny. that got smashed or whatever, you know. And and, and Diana's lasso That's, has, I mean, stretching capability that make Mr. Fantastic blush. Because she wraps that thing around the entire Sphinx. It said it says infinite in the comic, infinite elasticity. Oh, did yeah, I miss that? that? So I missed that, yep. So she can just hook on to whatever is necessary for the plot. Yeah. That was a new one on me. I mean, now, granted, I have not read a hell of a lot of pre-crisis Wonder Woman. So, yeah, that but that that really blew me, especially the part where now I don't know where the hell they are, because I thought they were already in, you know, the pyramids starting out. So there's a part on page 10 where it says uh, she goes, I've got to put my distance between me and the others. So and she throws her lasso into the air. And this is where it says, with a mighty toss, she sends her infinitely elastic lariat snaking through the arid air for miles until it reaches Giza, where it snares the silent sphinx. Now, so basically, she lassos the sphinx and then pulls herself to Giza? Yeah, is that what I'm just, gathering? She's, she's lassoing stuff over the horizon, too. That's pretty good. Now, now I'm That's... not a, too familiar with Wonder Woman at this point in, in time, but couldn't she fly? No. 
No, oh, okay. She, that, was, was that something post crisis? Well, all right. So here's again, I'm I'm no expert on the pre crisis Wonder Woman, but my understanding was is that I know she had her plane, which yeah, because the plane really came from somewhere. Thing later, you know, in in the post crisis. But I thought she could also she could like glide on air currents or some shit like that. But as far as actually fly, I don't think she could actually fly. But I, I do think she could like glide or something. But yeah, I, I was kind of I was a little lost on that. I, I might be misremembering that. But I know she definitely had the plane. But the reason she doesn't use the plane here is apparently it's been stolen or hidden from her or something. She's she makes some. Oh, yeah, here it is. Just just before she does the lassoing the Sphinx thing, she says, looks like Asira has hidden my plane. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't. How do you hide an invisible? I <laughs> how mean, do you not I, hide I, an invisible plane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Remember where we parked. Right, here's the thing. You know, I mean. This this issue is full of head scratching, really far out, kind of crazy shit to begin with. I mean, you know, even I mean, just taking the JSA and their power set, you know, having a magic genie and you know Wonder Woman with her magic infinitely elastic lasso. There's all this crazy stuff going on, but I'm digging it. But I agree with you guys. It's the dropping and then repairing the Sphinx is actually the bridge too far. Is that, I what, can buy, is that what lost you? Yeah, I could buy everything else. But when I got to the part at the end where, where Starman does the kind of like, you know, silly Star Trek ending where he's just like, well, I got to rebuild the Sphinx. I'm like, no, 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 that's not a thing. That's, you know, you, you broke it. For one thing, I you know. Actually, I think the comic lost me before that in the part where he levitated the Sphinx because, well, maybe they didn't know this back then, but don't we pretty much know today that there's like, like it goes deep. Like there's, yeah, like, isn't it, there supposed to be like chambers and shit underneath it and everything? And yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's completely uncovered and there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely chambers they've never been in and stuff with that, but. Don't worry, they all collapsed when they dropped this 8,000 million tons of stone on top of it. Yeah, and it's Starman who does it. I mean, okay. And that ends, I've given you back your war. I'm like, yes, it's four members of the JSA, but we're dealing with a global conflict. I'm pretty sure the war didn't stop just because these, you know, four or five superheroes and Steve Trevor disappeared. Yeah, everybody got no, up that I, morning and they're just like, hang on, guys. <laughs> War's off for a little I'd be while. I'm curious what explanation there would be for, all right, all of this is going on. Now, granted, the JSA, uh, for the you know for what we're seeing in this issue, they're under Osiris' sway already. But what keeps everybody wonder woman and the jsa once they're free of her sway from falling under the sway of the spear of destiny now i realize that's a retcon that comes down you know that that's down the road later but you know thinking about these things when you you know when you have the full continuity picture i wonder what the retroactive reason would be that that that's not apparently affecting them because i would think that that egypt would be within the the uh, the purview of all I would think I don't know maybe I'm wrong about that maybe that was an area outside of the purview of the of I'm the not sure your destiny and the Grail and all that I I really don't know I just say hey if there's a major you know campaign that actually happened 
that's how far the Spear of Destiny reached. Because <laughs> we can't have right. superheroes completely, you know, change. Well, this, well, okay, this isn't Watchmen, but. <laughs> right. So I guess that brings us to why did I pick this book? Uh, I picked this book for one very specific reason is that this book had been on my want list for a long, long time. And I finally recently acquired it. Now, I hadn't read it yet until, you know, it came time to do this show. Uh, But the reason that it was on my want list is really simple. It's because because Mike Nasser drew it. And I'm a huge Mike Nasser fan. And I've been slowly making my way through uh, his uh, bibliography on uh, on Mike's Amazing World and basically trying to collect everything that the guy did, which shouldn't be too hard because he was just kind of becoming a thing when he completely disappeared suddenly in 1982. He, he just completely abandoned comics and, and kind of just dropped off the face of the earth as far as comic books go for about 10 years. And... Uh, Chris, you'll remember this. The last thing he did before he disappeared was uh, he inked uh, Neil Adams on Ms. Mystic number one. Remember that book? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I still have my Ms. Mystic number one. Yeah. Beautiful art in that. Mm-hmm. But I, I've been taken with this guy since I was a kid because he did a, a couple of Batman stories. He did um, the last issue or two of uh, a short-lived series called Cobra. And then what was intended to be the next issue of Cobra before it got canceled, that story ended up in another book. It was called like, it was like the DC Spectacular or something. I forget. I'd I'd have to look it up to give you the exact name of it. But uh, that story wound up in that book and, and was basically it was a Batman story, even though it was originally intended to be a Cobra, an issue of Cobra it really is a Batman story uh, where Batman goes after Cobra and the art in that story is just unbelievable. And when I saw that as a kid, I I just fell in love with it. And so I've always been a big fan of this guy. And he also did a a story called uh, Mon-El's one man war back in Superboy and the Legion of superheroes back in the seventies. And the art in that is beautiful as well. And, Typically, he was teamed up with really good inkers. He'd get like Joe Rubenstein or uh, he was very often teamed up with uh, with Terry Austin. And between those two, I mean, they just do some beautiful stuff. But sadly, he'd also get uh, saddled with Vinnie Coletta, which just Vinnie just never did him any favors at all. There's actually a, a flash story in I think it's in Adventure Comics. Um that is much like this where you can see potential greatness in it because it's Nasser, but then Vinny just sabotages it with shitty inks. And this, I don't think is quite as bad as that flash story, but I, I do think the inks really bring it down. I just don't think Vinny's really doing him any favors, but, but I, I do see still, you know, there's still some good stuff here and some real potential in it. And some of it comes off really well. I, I love the page where, the Adam is sucker punching Wonder Woman in the back of the head. Um, I think that that whole page looks really The look good. on her face is great. It's just like, it's sort yeah. of like a little annoyed, but surprised at the same time, just enough to, to just sort of, she felt it, but she's just sort of like, whoa, it's, it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a nice face. Yeah. And 
we'll we'll talk about this much more when we get to Aaron's book, but I like Wonder Woman. I was never like a huge fan. I never really collected it until the post crisis universe or anything. But the thing with Wonder Woman is I I never, you know, I mean, Linda Carter, obviously, I found, you know, just gorgeous and beautiful. But comic book Wonder Woman, I always found just kind of like generic. She she never really struck me as like beautiful or I mean, she was supposed to, you know, one of the things that says, you know, in the opener of every Wonder Woman book is, uh, you know, beautiful as Aphrodite. I was always like, I don't see her beautiful. But I tell you, Nasser does some really good stuff with her. She's uh, she's an attractive woman in this, you know, which she wasn't often drawn to be. She was always just kind of like generic woman to me. Well, I think he was putting a little Linda Carter into her, which yeah. is, you know, who doesn't want a little Linda Carter injected <laughs> every once in a while? And especially Scott Gardner. I, I kind yeah. of felt like uh, Vinnie Coletta took an above average artist and uh, with the exception of some panels, uh, brought it down to very kind of average in a lot of this. I, I, I don't think yeah. the quality of Nasser's artwork comes through the way it should. That particular panel with the punching on the back of the head uh, does, like her, her facial expression in particular, makes that look really good. And there are some things like that in this, but there's also, I think, the, you know, the typical Vinnie Coletta quick, quick work that kind of eliminates some of the quality. And I think Mike Nasser's work, and I'm not nearly as familiar with it as you are, Scott, but my experience with it is one of the things about it that makes it so enjoyable is the level of detail. And if, if you get an artist who, where detail is their key, the worst anchor you could give them is Vinnie Coletta. Absolutely. The book I was trying to think of is called, now, if you, if you look at the cover of it, it's called the five star superhero spectacular, but, but by the indicia, it's actually just known as DC special series. Number one, mm-hmm. we've covered some issues from that on the show. Some stories of that. I think if I'm not mistaken, I, I think just Ron from, uh, dinner for geeks. Yes. He had brought it when they were on. Yeah. I think he covered that story. The Batman story that I'm talking about. Unfortunately, I wasn't on that episode. Yeah, if you ever seek this out, it has a beautiful Neil Adams cover on it. It's Aquaman, Batman, the Flash, Green Lantern, and uh, and the Atom are on the cover. I don't remember a damn thing about any of the other stories. I don't remember if they're any good or not. But that Batman story is friggin' awesome. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm looking here on Mike's Amazing World. It actually has been reprinted. There was a Cobra trade paperback called Cobra Resurrection trade paperback in 2010, so you can get it that way as well. I give that the highest recommendation because the the art, the Mike Nasser art in uh, in that Cobra arc is just, I mean, it, it'll knock your socks off. It's it's right up there with you know the best of them, uh, you know Jim Aparo or Neil Adams. It's it's some really really good Batman stuff. I like the art in this. I wish I loved it. I don't, um, but I blame just about all of that on uh, on Vinnie Coletta's, you know, usual hatchet job. But uh, the the one place where I will criticize uh, Nasser though is you look at page two, third panel. When I initially looked at that, I thought, who the hell is that in that the chamber that's all the way over on the right? And when I realized it was the Sandman, then I started paying attention to the illustrations of the Sandman throughout the issue. 
and they all stink. Uh, he cannot draw Sandman's hat to save his life. I, I was going to say, who's the revolutionary soldier in that tank? <laughs> yeah, it does. Sometimes it looks like a pork pie hat. Sometimes it looks like one of those trifold colonial hats. It lo- it just never looks like. I, doesn't he wear? He just wears like a fedora, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a fedora slouch hat. Yeah, something I mean, like on page that, nine, it, it looks like he put on a traffic cone. Yeah. It never does look right through the whole issue. And that I don't think you can blame on the inker. I think I think that's Nasser. So just yeah. not a hat guy, I guess. Yeah. Some artists can't draw feet, some can't draw hats. <laughs> it's this is the first artist I've come across who can't draw a hat. You haven't seen maybe, my artwork then. Maybe that's why he left. It's probably probably drummed him out of the business. <laughs> Learn how to draw a hat or get out of here. I think the only time the hat actually looks okay is on page 11 where Sandman's way in the background and is small, so you can't really tell. This is an ink blob of ink. Well, if nobody's got anything else, you want to do some grades on this one? Sure. Sure. All right. So since it's my book, I'll go ahead and I'll give my grades on it real quick. I like the cover. I think it's eye-catching. Um, but the anatomy is a little weird. Uh, Wonder Woman's pose is a little strange. Um, she looks a little awkward, and the perspective is a little bit wonky as well. But like I said, it, it is a, it is eye catching and everything. Um, again, I just don't think Coletta is really doing Nasser any any big favors. I'm gonna go. Uh, I think I'll say a B minus on the cover because um, I do think it's better than average, but I think it could be a lot better. And, uh, you know, being Nasser, it really should blow me away. It really should be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Because I, I really do think this this guy was one of the greats of his time, despite his very small body of work. But it's just not of the quality it really should be for, for him. Uh, same thing with the interior. Um, there are some really good shots. There's some really good panels, some really good pages. I really like the one where uh, Wood Wonder Woman's wrapping herself up with her magic lasso. Um, that would have served me well as a as a preteen or young teen <laughs> boy reading the book if, if I'd owned it back then. But there is, again, there's some wonky anatomy. There's some strange poses. And I, I feel like the whole book in both the color and the inks has a, has a weird washed out quality to it. Uh, uh, like a weird, like sun bleached quality to it that I, you know, it just makes it kind of odd looking art wise. Um, it just needed a, a stronger hand in the inks. I think that, that really would have shorn it up um, and, and really, you know, improve the art rather than I, I feel like this, this ink job just detracted uh, I would love to to see the original pencils on this because I'm sure it, it looks much better than than what wound up on the printed page. Yeah, I, could. Uh, I think I'm going to go gr- same grade inside. I think I'm going to say a B minus on this because um, I, I really do like Nasser. I can see his style coming through. Um, it's just not anywhere near as good as uh, as some of the other stuff I've seen by you know with him by uh, like say Rubenstein or Austin. Um, but, but not bad. And then the story, and eh, the story's dopey. Um, there's a million plot holes. I started to really tear it apart 
uh, with notes. And then I realized, oh, my God, we'll be here all night if I'm going to point out every ridiculous thing in the story, because the story is pretty ridiculous from beginning to end. So story wise, I'll be nice and say a C plus, but it's it's a pretty standard dopey issue of, of Wonder Woman from back in the day. So there you go. Overall great on this. Um I'll say a B minus, but that's, you know, that's for the art. I mean, if you're going to pick this one up, I would say pretty much pick it up for the art. And also if you're interested in the, uh, you know, the multi-part tale of, uh, you know, briefly when, when the earth Two wonder woman took center stage in, in this title. Um, Cause that is kind of interesting. So there you go. Uh, I don't have anything to compare it to with the art. So I, I like, I like the art in it and, I, uh, it was mostly the way it was laid out and designed. I gave it an A for the art. The story is a B minus. It probably would have been a C, but they used two good um, um, noise words, onomatopoeia words. One was brackash, and the other was badash. <laughs> so that, that bumped it up the story up to a B minus. And the cover B plus. The foreground is really good. The stuff with like the tanks and the sphinx and the plane flying down reminds me like combat on Atari or or like what was that yes. game? that the M Network game with the tank tank battle or whatever tank the hell battle it yeah yeah it also reminded me of like some of the GI Joe co- covers too yeah have just sort of like a sketched in tank and it was like a little kid drew like the shooting lines coming off it and stuff like but um. Yeah, overall, I give it a B plus. I enjoyed it <laughs> for what it's worth, but I enjoyed three quarters of the um, Wonder Woman movie because I'm <laughs> brain damaged. So take it with a grain of salt. I, uh, I I didn't like the cover in this issue. I don't think it's it's really all that good, and I I don't know if it's all Vinnie Coletta's fault or if NASA has to share in it because I'm not even really crazy about the composition of the cover. Uh, I think Osiris' face looks terrible, actually. Um, I don't even think the blowing up of the Sphinx looks very good. So, you know, all in all, I I, I think this cover could be much, much better. So I'm, I'm going to say just a C on the cover. Uh, the interior art, I see some of Mike Nasser's quality coming through uh, Vince Coletta's work, and I think you've pointed out some of those panels. Uh so because of that, I think it's it's above average, and I'll agree with your B minus on the interior art. Uh, the story is silly, but you know it's kind of it's kind of a story where you read it, and then half an hour later, if it came up in a conversation, you probably don't even remember what happened in it anymore. Uh, but <laughs> but it was you know it's generally the mindless entertainment of even though it came out in the Bronze Age, it's mindless entertainment of Silver Age books. And, uh, you know, that that has a certain charm to me. So I'll give it a C on the story, even though I think it could be, I, I think the grade could be worse. Overall, I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's a C book. Aaron? Well, on the cover, um, the more I look at it, I, I was just going to give it a C, but the more I look at the proportions for Wonder Woman, it, I mean, if she straightened her back out, her, the distance Are you going to give her, it a double D? No, the distance between her... You know, cleavage and neck would be like three feet. It doesn't make a lick of sense. So I, I'm, and you know, I, I really hate when covers say, "Oh, we're having this big military fight blowing up the Sphinx," when it's really, you know, uh, 
one of the superheroes, and I like to think that this is just the propaganda piece they put out in the JSA newsletter, so no one knew that it was a, a Starman who blew up the Sphinx. It was oh, it was the Nazis who blew up the Sphinx. <laughs> but overall, I got to give it a C. Um, I agree with Scott on the washed out colors. It just I can like I can tell where I could see there would be shadows and. Like when Wonder Woman's busting through that cell, despite we have no idea how, you can see the little shade lines of the ink, but there should be a lot more on her. And it's just when there's better shading on the Batman hostage ad, something went <laughs> wrong. It, it right. makes me wonder if sometimes like. You know, the, the comic that got scanned was one that was sort of on the Shh, end of the we print We all run. own the original issue. We all own the original issue. <laughs> uh, well, may, maybe mine came off the printing press late when they when they ran out of uh, black, you know, when the black ink needed a little refreshing. So it was like a little light on the, you know. So you replaced the toner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's some, at some point you got to dump, you know, at some point, you know, the comics are going to start, you know, it's going to start running out of ink and just sort of getting a little lighter. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm just I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just going to get and like Paul said, this is one of those books that you read it 20 minutes later. You're like, oh, OK. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'm I'm just giving it a C. It's it's just average. And it's an invisible plane, not an invisible jet yet. So, hmm, that's interesting. Apparently, she did find it. Speaking of that, going back to the cover, while you were talking about that, it, it suddenly occurred to me that I think that's supposed to be a jet, the plane that's that's firing at the Sphinx. Yeah. And I don't think they had jets in 1943. Not so. like that, no. No, no. Yeah, ever had a plane that fired directly out of the nose because that's one of those comic book things that makes me friggin crazy when i see that because they don't fire out of the nose i i think i think what it's supposed to be is the cockpit little bubble is in the wrong spot i think it because if that's supposed to be a propeller where i think the tail is one that doesn't make a lick of sense and maybe that's supposed to be speed lines with it pulling away from the sphinx but it's alien Nazi technology. Top <laughs> secret. It. Top secret. Why not? It's not any Vril technology. Vril technology. Vril. Vril. Oh, Vril. Yeah. Vril. Those were the aliens that the Nazis consorted with, guys. Come on. According to Roy Thomas, it was. Yeah, he actually introduced <laughs> them into uh, young. Uh, yeah, young all stars. Yeah. You'd probably like well, that. What, what you don't know is just off screen, the Anunnaki are standing there like 14 <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 Woof. All right. Page one. Hello, I am Chris, and I read a superhero comic sometimes, but this time I went hog wild and I read three Wonder Woman comics and I watched the Wonder Woman movie, Wonder Woman 1984, which is not about a dystopian world where Big Brother puts a rat cage on your face like my friend Hank told me it was. And now my brain has 
too much Wonder Woman, and I have my Wonder Woman Wonderoos on, and Wonder Woman, Wonder Wonder Woman, you're wonderful. What does it feel like when you're having a stroke? Today we talk about Wonder Woman number 241 called Stay Back Wonder Woman or the Kid Dies. And the cover is by Joe Stanton and Dick Giordano. And so is the inside art. Jerry Conway is responsible for the story. And Clem Robbins did the word pictures. And Adrian Roy colored it. And Larry Hammett is the editor. March 1978 was when the comic came out I thought the story was going to be a scary story because Dr. Fate is narrating it and being like a creepy Wonder Woman watching weirdo but no he is there just to talk fancy like and pretend he isn't watching Wonder Woman in the shower page 2 anyway back in World War 2 days we see a meeting between Hirohito the king of Japan and his totally not a bucktooth Asian stereotype war general who has found a radioactive dying samurai who will give Wonder Woman a nuclear high-five of death. Meanwhile, in a fancy-pants dance in New York City, a.k.a. the Big Apples, she is dancing with her boyfriend, Steve Rogers, while they talk about back issues of Wonder Woman. Then a guy in a green suit who bounces says, I am Bouncer! And I am a burglar! And then begins burgling all the rich ladies. Wonder Woman chases him, And they bounce around town, but he bounces away because everyone wants Wonder Woman's autograph, which makes her freak out like Sean Penn. But the samurai is now patiently waiting in a car to touch Wonder Woman, just like I would do. Wonder Woman goes home, and her friend Etta calls and says, I'm getting married to some French guy, which makes Wonder Woman want to check the guy out and beat him up if he's a jerk. But that's for another comic, so I'm going to forget all about that. Page 3. Now Dr. Fate is peeping in the bouncer's window and snooping in on his humiliating life, where young Henry was a freak of nature with strong bouncing legs of a mutant, and his mom made him take sissy ballet and the kids picked on him, so just like Frude said, he became a bouncing baby bastard who hates all the ladies in an angry way. He finds out Wonder Woman is at Central Park doing a fundraiser for war orphans, which is like a perfect place for burgling and revenge. Wonder Woman bench presses 16 tons and asks Steve why they won't let Jewish orphans see Wonder Woman. And he says, "Ah, nobody's perfect, Wonder Woman. But then before the combo gets more awkward, here comes Bouncy McGee and he swipes the money and a little girl. Wonder Woman calls her... Invincible plane just as Touchy McGee shows up to give her a radiation handshake. But he has to follow her now because he's too late again. Because he is the slowest samurai ever, ever. Wonder Woman has the bouncer cornered on the roof. The bouncer threatens to give the little girl the old watermelon treatment off the roof. But get this. Here comes the touch ninja. And he is a bad Japanese World War II guy, but he can't see a little girl, page four, get mushed. So he uses up his last nuclear joy buzzer on Bouncy McBoing Boing and says, I am Super Samurai, you and Superman blew me up with an A-bomb and now I'm out of juice and will disintegrate out of my clothes in dishonor. 
Wonder Woman says, you know, maybe that nuclear super samurai was an okay Joe. Then Mr. Fate is back to say, I told you so. And now he is looking at me all alone in my Wonder Woman Wonderers reading Wonder Woman comics all alone, a grown man. The end. <laughs> Bravo. That covers it, right? A little, a little TMI there at the end, but yeah, I, I think that was an excellent. Please let me talk about this. As you were doing the synopsis, all I could think was when you said uh, she she lifts sixteen tons, and I kept thinking, and what does she get? Another year older and deeper in debt. What does she get? Another day older, yeah, and deeper in debt. Scott knows about the pain of that song, don't you, Scott? Oh yes. <laughs> Boy, yeah. Yeah, this is a classic. This is one for the ages. Of sorts. Uh. Now, just, uh, you know, before we started recording, I had mentioned to you guys that I have, uh, in the entirety of my collection, which consists of, I can tell you in one second here, consists of 6,521 comics currently. Uh, It was larger, but I've downsized. Uh, I have five issues of Wonder Woman. This particular issue I bought off the newsstand when it first came out uh, and has remained in my collection since 1978 and was never read until today. Wow. (laughs) You got your money's worth, didn't you? (laughs) Totally worth the wait. (laughs) (laughs) At last, the seal can be broken. The story can be told. So I, I just think it's just kind of like strange that this would be an issue you'd pick, you know, with, with with so many Wonder Woman issues out there that, you know, to choose from that this is the one you'd pick. Uh, what I'll say, and, and my comments are going to be really, really quick, so I'll, I'll leave it to you guys to then go to town. But uh, I like the Joe Staten art. I'm done. <laughs> why, why do you imagine I picked this issue? Because Joe Staten. That's the only reason there I can think go. of. That's well, I it. And I think it's the only redeeming value in it, to be honest with you. It did nothing for me otherwise. Here's what I don't understand about this issue. If you go to, say, like uh, mycomicshop.com, for example, or, e- or eBay or wherever the hell you buy your back issues like like and look up values or whatever, for some reason I cannot fathom this is a pricey back issue. It remains a pricey back issue. And one of the reasons it took me literally years to finally acquire this is because I'm a cheap son of a bitch and I'm, I wasn't going to pay a lot for it. So I had to get it on the cheap. That's the wise decision in this case. And the funny thing is, if I knew you were looking for it, I would have just handed it to you when you were here. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, seriously though, what, what makes this a pricey back issue? And it's got to be the state and art is all I can imagine. Because it's I, the only appearance of the bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I do like I do like the way Giordano's inking complements Staten's art. Sometimes with with certain inkers, they uh, they make Staten's art look a little too blocky, uh, and I can't tell you specifically who that would be. Uh, this, this, I think it smooths it out a little bit, and I think the artwork throughout it I, I really like. It does lose a little bit of its personality, uh, 
because it's not quite as identifiable as Staten to me, but I still think it looks really nice. Now, Aaron, I know you're you're chomping at the bit to talk about this. So. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, first we have a bad guy who can you know melt things due to radiation, yet he doesn't kill the guy holding the flowers. Just you know, radiation just stops when it hits the first thing it you know comes into contact with. Right, and it doesn't and it doesn't radiate off him at all. No. <laughs> like everybody in that room should just if. He's absorbed a nuclear blast. Yeah, everybody in that room should probably, their hair should be falling out by the end of the... Yeah, there's no way this guy should be anywhere near the Emperor of Japan. And then we get the classic, um, yeah, this is, this is Exhibit A on racist stereotypes of Japanese officers. (laughs) I think they're just going for a retro look, but yeah, that's... (laughs) It doesn't help, they colored them yellow. The, yeah, well, that the first thing I thought was, okay, maybe Hirohito really looked like that, and maybe that, and then I'm like, oh wait, that's not Hirohito. They just yeah, sort of did Hirohito guy. from the side, and and then I was just like, yeah, this is right out of a fifty forties or fifties comic, you know. So I think they were just like a throw. I, I, seventy eight. I don't think anybody was. That's the thing. In seventy eight, nobody was gonna. Nobody was gonna say anything. Do you think it's over the top, though? Because it's over the top. It is now. It is now. I don't know. In in like, if I was a little kid reading this, I would just like whipped. I wouldn't have thought yeah, yeah. anything about it, you know. And is nineteen seventy eight, and and this is a throwback to World War Two. So I mean, as bad as some of the stereotyping is in here, it was worse in the forties. They really they they made the oh, Japanese oh, yeah. people look look cartoonish and uh, you know human. Oh the, yeah. well, the, the, yeah, and the and the and and like the 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 text up to that scene would have been like and in the hive of the you know dirty yellow menace you know blah 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 it would have been just a, a completely different language mm-hmm. and, I, and I mean 1978 we weren't that far away from World War Two you know like. Even the people who are kids and teenagers were growing up watching World War Two era movies on, and I mean this really there's there's like a shot in this of a like a of a truck that he bounces off and the truck is very stylized like an old Batman mm-hmm. you know comic and stuff and I think they were trying to sort of evoke the look of the older style Wonder Woman. But at the same time, the bouncer looks like just some eighties one one shot supervillain that they thought up you know he's just very he doesn't look like a 40s or 50s villain he just he looks like a guy they didn't want to spend a lot of time well, they <laughs> wanted to avoid the copyright infringement for, of batrock philippa <laughs> he reminds me paul you might you might know who i'm talking about we were just talking we we were guests on another show last night we were talking about uh the character uh atlas and before that he had been power man but he'd also had another identity didn't he when he was in spectacular spider-man he he was uh the smuggler smuggler yeah that was yeah that's that's who the bouncer's outfit kind of reminds me of is is that smuggler well the green tone the green tone uh, is is not dissimilar from the the wrecker from the wrecking crew Mm -hmm. right right yeah 
but yeah, he's he's very forgettable in here. I thought he was funny, but um, I, I loved how you know Chris said, "Well, this guy, you know, the the samurai is always late to the party. Well, if you're wearing a lead lot, you know, hundred percent lead suit, yeah, you're <laughs> you're not going to be able to run unless you're you know a space marine." Yeah, he's just clanking along like an old fifties robot, just like. Sorry, I was giving myself an oil job. He is he is truly one of the more he's like kind of a Marvin the 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 paranoid android character. <laughs> he's just the downer. He and just has the biggest he's got a bad he's got me. a sad and bad arc in this comic. <laughs> he was page. the biggest surprise for me in this because I mean the the whole the sole reason this issue was on my want list for all those years was for because I knew it was a Joe Staten drawn issue and I'm a, I'm a big state and mark and i like to collect this stuff so that's why it was on my list but i knew nothing about the issue i knew nothing about the story so opening this and, and right at the beginning you know after the specter's little introduction and we get this scene where he comes in and he's talking to the emperor you don't see him it doesn't tell you who he is he's just in shadow and everything but instantly i was like holy shit is this sumo and and it is. And I, I had no idea that Sumo, I, I never knew that Sumo survived all new collector's edition C-54, which begs the question, how the f*** did Sumo survive all new collector's edition C-54? They nuked him. <laughs> he was caught at the heart of an atomic blast. How the hell did this guy survive? got better well yeah i guess but it's flat ridiculous i i mean i was it's weird because i was both simultaneously happy to see him again just because i have such i mean there's very few comics out there that i consider to be like perfect comics that one superman versus wonder woman is damn near a perfect comic it's just great from start to finish it's it's beautifully drawn it's a great story it's a hell of a lot of fun and i and i really have a strong attachment to uh the villain of the book baron blitzkrieg now sumo i always found ridiculous in that and and i think back when mike and i talked about it on uh tales of the i, I think it was tales of the justice society we reviewed that book it was either that or back to the bins i can't remember um, but we talked about it and we talked about what a ridiculous character Sumo was because they call him Sumo, but then he's a samurai. And I'm like, all right, so obviously somebody didn't understand <laughs> Japanese culture very well to confuse and cross those two things because they're two completely separate and different. You know, I mean, the, the Sumo samurai would be a great villain. Sounds like a wrestler. Yeah, just a gigantic fat guy in a, in a samurai suit would be pretty awesome. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's what he was essentially, but it, they just, it didn't it didn't work. It came off as horribly racist, unfortunately. Um, uh, well, these these days they'd probably have to make him politically correct and make him a skinny sumo wrestler. I think he just should have been the samurai, you know, instead of calling him sumo, because then it just because you're expecting him to be like like a sumo like a rat and he, that i don't know it just the whole thing was so confused he was like he was supposed to be both but he's not quite either <laughs> it's how it works out he's like a he's like a fat samurai it just doesn't work you know <laughs> um 
But yeah, I mean, I, I love the art in this. I think the art's really great. I think the story's super dopey. But the thing that you know that really was the redeeming quality for it is I, I love the quick little flashback encapsulation of uh, Superman versus Wonder Woman because we get, I mean, it's just a quick little one panel cameo, but we get a shot of Baron Blitzkrieg, who I, I continue to love this character. I think he's great. And then I couldn't help but notice that, again, while I consider Superman versus Wonder Woman, you know, just just a, you know, a near perfect book, it does have a flaw in it. And I noticed that Staten actually fixed the flaw, which is for some reason, and I, I think it was more DC's doing, I think it was kind of their editorial futzing that made it happen. But for whatever reason in that book, even though it is a, an Earth 2 story, Superman is drawn pretty much looking like modern day of the time Superman. Now, it's illustrated by uh, Jose, Gar uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and it's a beautifully illustrated book. But he draws him to look like you know, Superman of that time, of 1970, whatever year that book came out, 76, 77, whatever. So he has the modern Superman S-Shield. He does not have the Earth 2 S-Shield. But here he does. Staten actually fixes it, and he gives him the look of the Earth 2 Superman with uh, with that you know kind of different... I don't know what you would call that, but the, the S is just different on his chest, and that's the S he gives him here. And, uh, and I really like that. It just, you know, it fixes that little flaw with the, with that particular story. So I thought that was neat, but otherwise, yeah, this is another book that, uh, I, I think is easily, you know, easily read and easily kind of just forgotten about <laughs> other than maybe just kind of standing out as being really silly. Cause the, the bouncers just. Dr. Fate isn't you know, even Aaron's, needed. You know, Aaron brought up uh, Batrock, and I never even made that connection, but he's actually lamer than Batrock, and that's saying something right there. Well, they got rid of him real quick, so. But, like, I'm just, <laughs> like, why is Dr. Fate in here? It's, it's, it's set up like uh, the Twilight Spectre. Zone. The Spectre! The, the, I thought you Spectre. were joking. I didn't think you were serious about that. I thought he well, was it's joking, called Fate. Too. There's a reason it's called Get Chris to Read a Superhero Comic, okay? <laughs> we were talking about this off air. It was the... Oh, yeah, I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I mean, you guys have had about 12, 13 years to figure that out. But, okay, so, okay, Agent Inspector, Dr. Shield, I don't know what his name is. Either way, I don't even know why he was there, you know? And then he's at the end holding the Death Star like it's going to be a Star Wars crossover. <laughs> Two things I, I I really loved in this issue was first uh, when we get the bouncer's backstory. Man, Archie and Jughead in the '40s were jerks. <laughs> they were always jerks, to be honest with you. And I don't know who this old lady is who's on page uh, twelve, going you know just screaming and you know, semi-terror, because I'm like, wait, this is the DC Universe, this is Tuesday, why are you freaking out, old lady? But she's just, she has to be somebody the artist knew, because the, the way she's in, you know, such sharp detail, yeah, that, that's got to be somebody the guy knew. Probably, yeah. That's a good catch, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, she's got very, dis like, distinct clothing and stuff like that, and 
yeah, it yeah, it totally looks like that. And then the little I just I just love that he's like, I hate girls. I'm going to go beat up on some orphans, take their money and take a little girl. And he's just like, ha ha, <laughs> you know, it, is this Harry Victory and Marv? Is, mine. Um, is this Harry and Marv before Home Alone 2? It just hits every mustache twirl possible. Not but yet. Like, we don't have a locomotive. I'm expecting some ironic Twilight Zone story because we've got a narrator telling us, you know, and, and the story's like, ah, three fates meet together and they sort of do but not in any kind of meaningful way it's just a way to kill off two of the characters and uh wrap everything up yeah yeah i i don't get the thing with with the specter because it comes in and then you know not only does he introduce the story but then he keeps popping up you know at different places to to, you know to to kind of narrate and uh you know and, and keep the thing moving along so it has almost like a like a house of mystery yeah. or, or or like one of the old EC comics yeah. with like the crypt keepers. So, so I don't get it. And it, it, he doesn't, it, he doesn't, it doesn't really serve any purpose. It. Yeah, it doesn't. Narratively. I mean, there's no it, O. Henry ending or anything like that. It's just kind of, it's a standard issue of wonder woman. Really? Yeah. I almost thought like, wait, is this like a wonder woman? What if, you know, is is specter supposed to be the watcher or something? Yeah. There's no, he plays no role in this story. We don't need you as a narrator. I'm telling you, he's just a creepy peeper, and he just happens, he just budges into these stories so he can creepy. I'm here to tell the story. Yeah, sure you are, Spectre. To be fair, if you could look at One Woman 24 7, would would you not? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would. I would. Yeah, I would have multiple multiple windows open on my computer from all the computer or from all the <laughs> camera angles. Yes. Uh, and then, then we get little Susie in peril. <laughs> yeah, it, I love I I love when people jump into the air grabbing a little kid by one arm as if that wouldn't just separate their like arm from their socket. <laughs> Well, she she also you know sees two men burned to death. So yeah, the, yeah. She, she, she's she's going to have some issues later in life. Isn't that what uh, did in Jack Nicholson's character before the movie The Shining? More or less. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I had a blast with this issue. I probably shouldn't have, but I just did. <laughs> oh, you should have it. It is fun. <laughs> Well, the, sec- the, the second I started reading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I am assuming. <laughs> well, Chris, you, you've, you've become kind of our official uh, politically incorrect books of the 70s. <laughs> That's okay with me. I, I, I don't mind that. <laughs> I, I like how they called him the super samurai, and he's definitely not wearing a silver outfit. But, uh, yeah, you know, you, you just – Change a few of those letters, and uh, yeah. He's not very super either, if you really want my honest opinion. <laughs> well, the fact he's still breathing, it, well, that's that's his superpower. It's that's, not the radiation, it's the fact he hasn't killed anyone yet. That's Yeah, that's super, but it's sort of like, super big guy, you're doing great. Oh, he's got about 15 minutes. <laughs> These poor kids are some of the most traumatic, I think I read it in a comic, and I just now realized that. We're safe in America now. Boing. Well, wait, we're in America in New York. Oh, 
in the DC yeah. universe. Well, it's not quite as bad as Metropolis will get. I hear Gotham's a nice place to live until the 80s. Right. Well, we want to do grades on this one? I'm ready. All right, your book. I'm giving the art an A. I, I enjoyed the art. Story, I'm giving a solid C. Got a, earned a strong C right there, guys. And uh, the cover, I'm giving it a B. It's The art is good on the cover. The art is, like, really solid. But it's just, it's 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 so weird that this is such a weird issue or such a weird read. But at the same time, it's just sort of also ticking some standard super. And now that I'm looking at it, you know, you know, the um, the bouncer kind of reminds me of some somebody from Spidey Stupid Stories. <laughs> right. He's very spidey, stupid, stupid stories. Ha ha, I've got the fishbowl full of money. Did you just kick me, little girl? Come with me. Wahaha. You know, it's just that sort right. of free flowing doofiness. But yeah, the, 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 the cover, the cover just, yeah, it doesn't really, didn't really strike. Overall, overall, I'll give it a, give it a B. I, I enjoyed myself. <laughs> I had my merry way with it. So. I got my money's worth out of it. I didn't even have Aaron? to pay Middleton money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, he wouldn't buy this comic. It's 35 cents. Yeah, this this one's too pricey for uh, Middleton. Uh, for the cover, first off, eh, just generic. I mean, I, I was just going to give it a C, but, you know, I'm looking at Wonder Woman's face and... Her lip, her mouth, it, it's just, I've seen better lips on real dolls. It's just similar lips, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know what happened to her face, but it's just, it's bad. So I'm, I'm giving it a C minus. The, the art inside, however, oh, it, it's good. It, I, I loved it. It. Wonder Woman here looks like you would expect a Wonder Woman to look. She's uh, it's a much better improvement over the last issue. I just had fun with this comic. Does it make a lick of sense? No. And knowing that it actually tied up some loose ends to another story, and I really appreciated Scott that that little history lesson. That was, that was cool. I'm I'm gonna bump it up from a C to a C plus just for you know. Being kind of a epilogue issue to a story without it, you know, no one ever actually remembering there was an epilogue to that story. Right. <laughs> That's true. Paul? Um, I don't know why I like the cover, but I do. I, I look at it and it doesn't look like it has, like the way it's laid out and everything, the elements of it look like something I would pass up on the newsstand. And yet for some reason it appeals to me. And, and I, I think it, I, I'm, I don't even, you know, I can't even put my finger on it, but it works. So I'm just going to give it a, a C plus on the cover. The interior art, I think, is much sharper, I have to say. I think it's, a, it, it's you know, I, I like the way Giordano's inks look on Staten, I have to say. So I'm going to say a B plus on the interior art. Actually, I'm going to say an A minus on the interior art. I think it's good enough to to rank that way. 
despite the colorist's uh, version uh, inking on on the uh, Asian gents. Um, but I'm going to say the story, to me, the story is, is almost the same description as I give the last one. You read it and half an hour later, it's like, all right, what, what was that I read again? I don't even remember. Uh, so the story I'm going to give just a C and then overall I'm going to give the book a, a B, just a B, solid B. Okay. I'm not crazy about the cover and I've been trying to figure out why I, I just, I don't know as much as I really love Joe Staten and, uh, and I like J- Dick Giordano quite a bit too, especially as an inker. Um, there's something about the cover that's just a little bit off to me and I can't quite place it. Uh, I, two things that do jump out though is the little girl just looks odd to me. Now I know children are, are hard to draw to begin with, but she just, she looks funny. She almost looks like a doll as opposed to like a, a, a real living little girl. And then Aaron's right. Wonder Woman kind of has a dur face, kind of like she's medicated or something. She, she just looks a little, a little dopey, a little droopy eyed. <laughs> Little uh, little thousand yard stare going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I I, I think so, I know what what maybe messing with you know what, what you does put a what you think might be wrong with the cover. If you look at you know we we know how long little girls' arms are, and you look at Bouncer's hand. You know if that's supposed to be say her forearm between her elbow, that her arm is like two three feet long compared to the rest of her body <laughs> that so, could be too yeah it, it is a little elastic looking that's for sure yeah so yeah i don't know there's just there's something just a little bit off from it it's not bad uh, it's just you know i'm not i'm not super crazy about it so cover i think i'm just going to go a c plus on the cover I, I like it but i'm not enamored of it it's funny because because you don't like it and you can't put your finger on why and i do <laughs> like it and i can't put my finger on why uh, interior art I love, but, uh, like I say, you know, Joe Staten is, is long been a favorite of mine and, uh, and I really like, uh, how this is inked by Dick Giordano, who I, I have always considered one of the master inkers. And, uh, and I really, really like the interior art. Some of the coloring is a little bit weird in this. I think this would actually look even better in black and white, but I, I really, really like the art in this, uh, a lot. I, I think I'm going to say an A minus on the art and, uh, it, but it's really beautiful stuff. And it, it's very reminiscent to me of, of the stuff he would do much later in Wonder Woman working on uh, the backup features with the Huntress, which I love that stuff. Uh, there's almost like a little foreshadowing of that with uh, uh, with Diana uh, in her secret identity as Diana Prince. The way she has her hair done up, the dress she's wearing and the big glasses and all that's basically that's Helena Wayne. Uh, as she would look later in the uh, in the Huntress backup, so I, I like that look. So yeah, I, I really I'm crazy about the art, which is nice because that's why I bought the book. I mean, that's why I wanted it, and that's why I bought it. Uh, it's definitely not for the story. The story is ugh, the story is really really dopey, and it's funny that I feel that way because there there were moments you know that I, I really did get a kick out of seeing Sumo again, even though I never really liked the guy and I never needed to see him again because to my mind, he died. I mean, he should be dead. He got nuked. Um, but strangely, it was kind of neat to see him again, I, I guess just because I was shocked. I'm like, how the hell is this guy alive? 
Um, and then he doesn't even make it out of the issue alive. So it was kind of weird. It's like, you know, they brought him back just to have him die. It was really strange. And I, I like the, the little flashback, even though it's just a panel. I really like the little flashback to uh, Superman versus Wonder Woman because I love that book. But, yeah, the story's the story's pretty, pretty goofy. And there was one moment I wanted to talk about just real quick. It was where Wonder Woman gets the call from her friend Etta. And I just found, I found Wonder Woman's attitude just incredibly rude and condescending. She gets off the phone with Etta and Etta's on cloud nine. You know, she's, she's just gotten engaged to be married to, you know, he looks like a fairly good looking guy. Actually on the, in the third panel of, uh, page what page is page eight he actually looks like dean martin um i knew he looked familiar but i couldn't place him (laughs) as soon as she hangs up the phone with etta she goes something's wrong uh she goes etta candy is a sweet girl but it's impossible that a slick wolf like pierre uh mercand i guess is his name would fall in love with her and i'm thinking why because she's the fat girl that is so rude. <laughs> that is so wrong. What's I mean, maybe you know, he found oh, yeah, something well, in it that he really. End, she's like, oh, maybe Samurai was a nice guy, you know. But your friend's just like, what do you mean? You're the fat chick. You're not going right. to get the guy. I'm only guessing there must be a backish uh, issue where like she's seen something she didn't like or something. But then again, Wonder Woman seems a little bit uh, standoffish on uh, on men in yeah. general. Yeah, well, yeah, it, definitely. Well, I mean, she was dialogue. raised on Lesbian Island. So, yes, you know, yes. Yeah, so. And reading the dialogue, she hasn't even met the guy yet. So. Right, yeah. And she says, I'm going to check out uh, the lieutenant tomorrow, meaning the guy. I'm going to check out the lieutenant tomorrow at Allied Intelligence. And for Etta's sake, I hope I find what I like. Or I, I hope like I don't I have to snap his neck. Well, what? yeah, exactly. Uh, he's so not Maxwell Lord. You don't you're gonna break up? You're gonna ruin her happiness yeah. because you don't like the guy? I, I have a I feeling this like, is wow. yeah, this, this is set up for a later issue. This is this is a subplot of blue a Bruin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, like yeah. <laughs> I just hope that in the future issue, when we find out he's like secretly a uh, you know uh, the bouncer's uh, brother, the leap, the uh, tumbler. That, you know, Etta just punched him <laughs> in the face. I just, as soon as I read that subplot, I just tossed it out of my brain because I was like, yeah, there's a 99.9999999% chance that I'll ever, that I'll never, uh, <laughs> ever have to resolve that story in, by reading it. So, yeah, I'll just, uh, right. ne- never mind with it. <laughs> Flushed it right out. <laughs> That's coming back. Two or three um, issues from now, you know, on, with the marriage issue where, you know, there, there's chaos during the marriage and she probably defeats a villain during the marriage while at the same time exposing Frenchie as being a con man. That's right. my guess. Um, so I know great on the on the story. I'm going to I'm going to say a C, I guess I'll be generous. I was going to say C minus. I'll say a C. I mean, it's a, it's it's OK. It's serviceable. It's an average. You know, it's about what I would expect from, you know, an average Wonder Woman story from this era. So it's it's no better or worse than I was really thinking it would be. Um, overall grade for it, though, I, I will give it a fairly high grade. I will say for, as an overall grade for the entire book, I'll say a B plus because I think it's worth owning 
for the beautiful Staten artwork. Uh, I, I really do like the, the art in this, but you know, otherwise eh, it's okay. Uh, I'm just reading over the letters page and man, the editor got really snarky with this one guy. Uh, and he, he's, he writes this nice little letter, asks some questions about, hey, are we going to see, since Wonder Woman's had, I guess, at this point in time, the, you know, we mentioned the TV show change, and they're like, or are you going to, you know, bring her back to the 70s? And he said, and the writer, editor goes, come off it. Some people write hundreds of letters and never see them in print. You'll have to do better than this to get one on one of our letters pages. We never print a letter like this one. Um, Huh? <laughs> I think he's just messing with the guy. Oh, yeah, he's messing with him. <laughs> he's trolling him. Because the guy would be reading that like, wait a second. How? <laughs> and by the way, Wonder Woman will return to the 70s, but not like the TV show and not in a TV series comic. We have nerve, but not chutzpah. Ooh, yeah, he's just trolling this guy, and I love it. I'm like, because this guy, you know. If I ever got a letter printed, I would have been on. I would have framed that comic. It could have been the worst comic on earth, but it'd be framed because it had my letter in it. So yeah, I just <laughs> I don't like him being that the editor being that snarky. Sorry, I, I, well, I know that was a tangent. <laughs> no, you're fine. No, you're up. Oh, that's right. I, I am up. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so my comic and the last of the trio that we're covering is. We're jumping forward in time and through a couple universe-altering events to the post-crisis era and covering Wonder Woman Volume 2, Issue 9, which is the first appearance of Cheetah in the post-crisis universe. And I actually, I looked this up. This is actually the first appearance of Cheetah as Cheetah and not Barbara Minerva. She appeared as in her human persona and uh, according to Mike's Amazing World, Wonder Woman number eight. But this is the first debut issue of the Cheetah. So it's probably worth a lot more than 75 cents right now, especially on the back issue market. <laughs> the cover date on this issue was October 1987. Actual on sale date was July 2nd of 87. The cover price was a whopping 75 cents. It's It's a nice little cover. It's... We have a at this point in time, Wonder Woman has been kind of doing a PR campaign to kind of get become uh, an ambassador from Themyscira to uh, Man's World. So she's been on this big PR blitz, and so she's got her face everywhere, plastered as a model. And we see one of her giant billboards just slashed to pieces uh, on a three-quarter panel with uh, Cheetah, kind of doing almost a Batman-esque pose on top, and. She, I'll be honest, that's probably the best she looks in the entire issue. Plotter and penciler was George Perez. The scripter for this issue was Len Wing. Inker was Bruce Patterson. Letterer, John Costanza. Colors, Tatiana Wood. So we open up on a dark and sort of stormy night where we see an African voodoo man. At least I'm assuming he's voodoo. I don't want to mix up my African cultural mystical stereotypes, but I'll, I'll just go with a voodoo man. Hovering over the body of a young uh, woman who is draped in a cheetah skin blanket. I'm sure that's not foreshadowing of anything as he performs a ritual where he has bled her a bit and apparently is now 
offering her blood to some sort of uh, mystical plant god who is not related to poison ivy or swamp thing in any way, shape, or form. Also a uh, possible cheetah god. So I'm sure that has nothing to do with the rest of this story. Later on, as we go through subplots, uh, Bounty, we see uh, Wonder Woman dealing with her new uh, PR publicist, Mindy Mayer, who's been posting her likeness onto every billboard and uh, men's magazine she can. And uh, the other supporting cast, Julia and Vanessa, I can never pronounce this, it's Greek, Capitalis, who have been helping uh, Diana for the past few issues. She, they've pretty much been her gateway characters, supporting cast to Wonder Woman at this time. Later on in Boston, they meet up with an archaeologist named Barbara Minerva, who looks suspiciously, well, more clothed, but uh, bears a strike resemblance to the one we see at the opening of the issue. She is looking for a... A golden girdle of the Amazons. So Minerva says, yeah, if you, you know follow me and let me see this really nice lasso of yours, I'll sh- go get this girdle and tell you. But uh, unfortunately, Minerva did not read the fine print on all these articles about how this being is a, a uh, magic truth-telling lasso and immediately starts having a panic attack, admitting that, hey, there is no girdle, and also that there actually might not, Barbara Minerva might not even be her real name. She throws the lasso away. Wonder Woman is really, really ticked off, both at the deception and at Mindy for thinking that, you know, she was basically getting rich off Wonder Woman's image, and Wonder Woman kind of freaks out and flies away because, yes, now she can fly. We get some more magic voodoo, what's I'm going to call it, and after a nice little body art ceremony, Minerva drinks a magic potion from the voodoo man and merges with a cheetah spirit soul thing and kind of goes all black panthery, but instead of putting on a suit of armor, she becomes the cheetah. We then go back to Vanessa's home, and it comes under attack from the cheetah. Wonder Woman is kind of just laying out in the forest, surrounded, and just kind of sulking and getting a moment's arrest. And we get our big McFighty McFightstein for the issue. Wonder Woman is kind of freaking out because for the first time ever, she's getting injured. She, she's at, we act, she's actually drawing blood. So this is like Superman getting cut. So, yeah, this, this is not just a battle. This is something that could kill her. So the stakes are immediately raised because I don't even think when she fought Ares she was uh, bleeding. We get more fighting fight sign for the rest of the issue. And it almost looks like the cheetah is about to tear into Wonder Woman at the end with, uh, after being pinned by a uh, crashed tree trunk where Vanessa comes out of nowhere. I I keep mixing these two up. It's Julia. Julia is the mom. Vanessa is the kid. Okay. That's right. It's yeah. it's Julia who suddenly comes out of the shadows bearing a hunting rifle, blasts Cheetah, who falls into a nearby river. And though she was tied to the magic lasso, she slips through. Wonder Woman dives in, but as but she can't find her. Assume she's dead, but like all good comics, since there's no body, we know she's not dead. 
Then we get into some more subplots where Wonder Woman has fired uh, Mindy, decides to leave uh, Julia and Vanessa, and find her way in the world. The end. This, as a comic, was my favorite of the three, I thought. Right. (laughs) That's what I was just going to (laughs) say. But that's not setting the bar really high. I remember Tatiana Wood's name is somebody I liked their work. No, I think she did some work on Swamp Thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that well, that like there, there's a lot of Swamp Thing in there. There's Len Wines in here, you know. It's yeah. it's there's there's a lot of flowery sort of Swamp that you know. Where, I can't remember. There was one line, you know, where like she draws breath to take in the night, you know, or so. You know, it's very, it's very monster like flowery monster comic writing. This this. This was like a trip down memory lane of a comic that I never read. But like the time period when I, you know, my prime like teenage years of reading comics, this this just has all the the elements that I remember. And I love George Perez's art. And it's just it. it and, the, and George Perez of this time, every frame is just a yummy little beautiful treat. Oh yeah, I mean that the page three that one—it's just a one-page splash of perf wine. If that wasn't a coloring book panel page, I don't know what could be. Each character has their own personality. Um, Julia, she she she's an older woman, and she's drawn to look like an older woman. She's mm-hmm. she's got wrinkles. She's you know she's she's got a weathered look. She's seen some stuff. Not a comic book old lady like like your real grandma. Yeah, it's not Aunt May. And when my favorite panel probably is when uh, uh, Cheetah is holding the lasso and it started the the power is starting to work through her and she you can see she's resisting it she's sweating and she there's this one panel of her open mouth and you know just there's saliva there's drool coming up you know off her teeth it's just oh it's just a such a good panel. I don't know why, but it's like you you, you get the emotion, the, the the impact of the struggle just just from that. Paul, had you read this before? No, no, this was my first time on this one, and uh, I mean for the most part, I got to say, I just kept, I was just reveling in the George Perez art for the most part. But I I, I like the modern retelling of of the Cheetah origin. I'm not always a fan of such radical changes in characters. You know, where she went from a costumed villain to, you know, actual an embodiment of the cheetah. But as a villain for, for Wonder Woman, who, again, you know, I've, I've made clear is not a character who I have a lot of uh, my collection with, you know, other than her appearances in other books like, you know, JLA and stuff. Um, I, think, I think it makes her seem like a more viable villain against her. Absolutely, yeah. To, to have some sort of you know supernatural powers, so I, I didn't mind the the changing of the character this way. Uh, Aaron, just to address your point, and I'm not an expert on this, so I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Voodoo is Jamaica. I think this would be probably more likely uh, a witch doctor. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's absolutely correct, but I, that's my okay. thoughts on that. Um, but but I enjoyed this issue. I I had never read it before. I'm again I I've read precious little solo Wonder Woman issues to be honest. 
but this this was this was enjoyable. I will say that this um, cheetah arc, I liked it more than the opening issues where it was Wonder Woman with Ares because it was kind of cold. It ended up being kind of a Cold War type story since Ares was trying to you know start World War Three, and this just I think this was this was a much better storyline because um, th- this actually, like I said, was kind of a culmination because Barbara did show up in the previous issue, and I forgot to read that for, the, but I, I do know she. Th- th- this is kind of like the climax of this little little arc. I uh, I had read this before, and reading it again for the first time in a long long time, um, I'm actually kind of ashamed of myself that I forgot just how awesome this series was. Uh, but this particular issue it, uh, was really, really good. I, I enjoyed it from start to finish. I thought it was fantastic. And it's funny, I, you know, my history with this is uh, I actually bought the the George Perez written issues, you know, written and he mostly wrote and illustrated his run on Wonder Woman. Although towards the end, he started petering out on the, on the art and other people came in to illustrate it, even though he continued to write it for quite a while. But this was just a magical time in DC comics. It was right after the crisis And for a couple of years, DC was just, man, they were on fire. They were firing on all cylinders. They had burn on Superman, and they successfully uh, reinvigorated several of their characters. You know, Batman got a slight update and a a little bit of an origin tweak. And, you know, he had been doing really good stuff prior to the crisis anyway, but they they just kind of tweaked him, and he was headed in an interesting new direction. Um, they invigorated the Flash, you know, Wally became the Flash, and they kind of had an A team on that for a while with the with the writing and the art. Uh, they successfully, at least for a short while anyway, successfully reinvigorated the Atom, and so they were really on a roll. You know, there were several other characters as well that they just, you know, they really managed to to reinvigorate and and get you excited about them. And then there was the announcement because Wonder Woman came a little bit later after everybody else. There was, you know. She had kind of disappeared at the end of the crisis. She had been mm-hmm. basically like retroed right out of existence. So it took time for them to kind of reintroduce her. And then there was the announcement that she was coming back and it was going to be a whole new Wonder Woman. It's going to be a whole new origin. And who was going to be doing it? It was going to be George Perez. And not only drawing, he was going to be writing it too. And I found myself in this weird conundrum going, Love me some George Perez. Not sure of him as a writer. And Wonder Woman? Am I really going to buy Wonder Woman? And yeah, I did. And, you know, it's the only time in my life I ever actively collected Wonder Woman, you know, quote unquote, off the rack, so to speak. And it was a little weird and it was a little embarrassing, but I did it and I'm damn glad I did it because, man, it's a great run and uh, and I really enjoyed it. But it's been a long time since I've looked at it, and I, I've kind of forgotten about it. And uh, and rereading this issue in particular, I mean, this one's just firing on all cylinders. It's it's a it's a really good issue. And uh, you know, my biggest takeaway from this is, uh, hey, Aaron, I'm going to need my Wonder Woman issues back, dude. <laughs> I, I'll I'll send you copies. <laughs> 
because those ain't no, going nowhere, though. pal. Because <laughs> I was, I was doing yes, I'm very know, grateful that you decided to pick these up off the rack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so but, no, seriously, you... I was I was digging through this trying to figure out like why do I like this smell? Like why did this work for me? And I, I think I hit on something and see what you guys think about this. But I think one of the reasons I really like this is that in a lot of ways, uh, while this is not the first issue, you know, this is the ninth issue. In a lot of ways, the the narrative and the way this unfolds, especially the fight between Wonder Woman and the cheetah, uh, the way the story unfolds, the way the fight unfolds, and then the way the story gets resolved at the end, this is incredibly reminiscent of Superman Volume 2, Number 1. Now, in that one, Superman finds himself facing an opponent he'd never faced before. Now we knew him from the pre-crisis. We knew Metallo and we knew the whole deal with Metallo, but he was kind of, by the time crisis came along, Metallo was a joke. He was very much a silly, jokey character. Um, suddenly, you know, here he is post-crisis and he's a badass. He's Terminator. And, yeah, he was, he was basically the Terminator with a kryptonite heart. And in that story, He's owning Superman and he's going to kill him. I mean, there's no there's no mistaking. He's got Superman down and Superman's dead. And suddenly, you know, through outside intervention, you know, he's taken away and, and Superman survives that first issue. And I find this to be very reminiscent. You know, here is Wonder Woman facing a villain, you know, for her first time. But we're sort of familiar with the character just from the pre-crisis and i think the cheetah i think you can argue that the cheetah had kind of become a joke by that point too because she'd been on the super friends and she just i never saw the cheetah as a threat she was that that girl that wonder woman fought you know she was kind of like a Catwoman analog yeah yeah very much so literally but here she is as a super badass and I think it could be argued she's got Diana on the ropes. I think she she is a legitimate threat to her. And it looks like, you know, potentially she's leaping to take her out when Julia takes the cheetah out. Say, you know, saving Diana. And, you know, it's a kind of an inconclusive end because we don't know what happens to the cheetah the same way we really didn't know what happened to Metallo at the end of Superman number one. So I, I see a nice parallel there. And uh, and I think that's interesting. And I, I was kind of moved so, by the end of it. You know, you didn't talk about it much in your synopsis, Aaron, but the end of this threw me because I was trying to remember, like, well, I don't I didn't remember this. But is this does this go into the trial of the gods? Is that what this is? This when she goes back and she has to go beneath Paradise Island and face like the I'm monsters sure I'd have to and, the... and all that? Isn't that a little I'd have later? To read it, bud. I don't know. I can't, I, I can't remember. But I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, but it, uh, regardless, but we can find I, out. Yeah, we'll keep but reading. It, it is. It, yeah, I might. I might have to sit down and do a reread of this. I'm long overdue to to reread it, but I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And it's hard for me to pick like my favorite page or my favorite panel or whatever, but it just might be page three that full page splash mm -hmm. of diana in flight because perez has done something here that i think was very 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 seldom ever done with comic book wonder woman he she's beautiful she's a beautiful woman she's, um, beautiful. she's, she's beautiful 
She's yeah. smiling. She's happy. She's enjoying just the being able to fly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the joy of flight. And that's the, something. The joy that, on her face is palpable. Yeah. That's something that I used to think about as a kid reading comic books that I always found really strange is that pre-crisis, I can't remember a time when the characters ever reveled in their powers. Like I don't remember ever reading a pre-crisis story with Superman, Superboy, you know, anybody that could fly where they were like, this is awesome. I'm flying. And that was one of the very first things that both Byrne and Perez did when they were handling Superman and Wonder Woman respectively was have the character revel in their powers. I thought that was a a really cool idea. It's a very simple idea, but right here it works so well. Well, the way the way it's composed too, like, you, you, you know, you have just her face and her body language, but just the the swoop lines that they drew for it you can tell she's having fun she's swooping around a tree and and doubling back on herself and flying up you know it's it it's very kinetic and it just yeah it it sells that mood absolutely absolutely and and you kind of need it in this issue because she's kind of kind of grumpy and dour and getting (laughs) you know you know getting existential existential through the whole thing and communing with nature and and raccoons it's the calm before the storm yeah but you you need this one scene of her just like you know seeing seeing her happy in it to to actually see that and this is the third comic in a row with 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 wonder woman showing like way more concern for her opponent than most she's she's genuinely a little ticked off that 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 she shot her, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 There's a reason on the purple ring of love chose her. <laughs> I'm really struck with uh, that first panel on page seven there too. Cause I mean, here she, she's a, she's a drawing on paper, you know, but it, she's beautiful the way she's illustrated right there. I mean, that is a beautiful woman. And, you know, she's angry. She's crying. It, it's kind of that cliche of, you know, you're beautiful when you're angry. But she is. But, I mean, that's the thing that, that has always struck, you know, stuck with me from reading this run of Perez on Wonder Woman is that he he did to her what I like to see done with Superman, which is... You know, she has a wonderful innocence. You know, she's powerful. She, I mean, she's one of the most powerful characters, you know, powerful heroes in the DC universe. And he he definitely portrays that. But she also has this wonderful, like, naivete and innocence about her, too, uh, while also being very beautiful. And I don't know, that, that's a, I mean, that's an incredible magic trick to pull off in an illustration. But it, he sells it. And... I mean, he sells it in just about every illustration of her. You see that by turns. Sometimes she looks very innocent and, and you know, like bottom of page eight, that next to last panel, you know, mm-hmm. she looks very young and, and vulnerable and innocent. And then another panel, she's, she's a tough, powerful woman. And I mean, to be able to, to successfully illustrate that, 
you know, through the course of the story and, and show all those facets of her personality. I, I think that's really, you know, that's a testament to Perez being a master storyteller by this point. Um, I think this is him at the top of his game, honestly. I, 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 I kind of think it never really got better for him than his run on Wonder Woman because I think his whole heart was in it uh, when he was doing this stuff. Now, was this uh, after uh, New Teen Titans? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Well okay. after, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I just love the 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 writing and the art in in this time period with especially with uh, Byrne and and Perez. They were going that there was they were going for portraying like acting in their stories, like their characters. Um. Like the 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 agent woman in this, you know, they give, give her they give them character quirks and body language and stuff. Whereas usually in comics that was just sort of a stock thing, you know. But they almost you you can almost especially with 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 those two artists and the 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 way they personally wrote, you could almost tell that they would have actors or actresses or a character in mind from a movie. And for the first time, instead of just drawing someone to look like them, you would get it through their their vocal quirks or you know their personality, and there was it, there was just more of a fe- of a cinematic feel to it. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's still like comics, st- still there's cinematic comics, but they were they you know you could hear like the dialogue was written as dialogue it wasn't always just sort of driving the plot you know the 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 characters were instead of relying on inner monologue they would not realistic dialogue but more realistic than than you would be used to in in a comic and right. you know immediately it brought me back to like 1983 84 you know I just want to address comment Scott that you made about that this is like the best Perez ever did. <clears throat> I will accept the argument that he was never better than this, that this is him at the top of his game. But I would also make the argument that there were points on the Avengers and new teen Titans where he reached this level on those books as well. Right. So yes, I, I think he's like, I, I, I agree. He's at the top of his game, but, I, but I won't say that he that he never reached these these heights anywhere else because I I think he did I think I think Perez, Perez's career is uh, got numerous examples of of work of this high quality definitely yeah so you know it puts me in mind of um, the uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called because there was the story in the Teen Titans you know it was just the one issue of who is Donna Troy. But then after the crisis, Mm -hmm. there was the multi-part story. I think it was just called Who is Wonder Girl? I'd love to cover that on the show because that's another story that uh, I hold up as being Perez at the top of his game. Now, that one's more artistic because he didn't actually write that. It was uh, it was, you know, a collaboration with Wolfman. But uh, I don't know if you've ever read that, but that's. Oh my God, that's a great story. It's so good. And, And the Perez artwork is phenomenal in that. And, um, I see strong parallels between this and that because oh the Wonder Woman and Donna Troy characters have a lot of a lot of similarities. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I you know I, I you know Donna Troy became one of those 
comic book females that a lot of fanboys fell for, including me. I fell hard for Donna Troy. And I never really found Wonder Woman attractive until Burn, uh, excuse me, Perez came in and, and took her over. And I see a lot of parallels here. And I don't know if he's intentionally, you know, making Wonder Woman kind of resemble Donna Troy, but I definitely see it, you know, where they're, they're kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, they're not mirrors of each other. And, and I think that's nicely illustrated when they do eventually meet and, and become friends and everything. But uh, yeah, that's definitely something I, I'd like to, you know, put on the, you know, put on the um, itinerary to cover at some point on the show because that that's really good stuff. I could definitely see doing that. I did look ahead, and the story I was thinking of that that is where this is going. She goes back to Paradise Island and faces. I was thinking it was called like the Trial or something. It was called the Challenge of the Gods, and it runs several issues. And she ends up going the, – the thing I remember the most is she ends up going underneath Paradise Island. And for some reason, I think it's Atlas had been banned to – was it Atlas or was it Hercules? I can't remember. Some Somebody had been banned, you know, banished to like underneath on the underside of Paradise Island to hold it up like Atlas had done to the world at one point. So I, I don't know. It's very vague in my memory, but I remember it being really good. And I liked that because I felt like Perez did for Diana what Simonson did for Thor, which was took mm. him back to, you know, the, the mythological roots of the character and made that shit really, really, really interesting. You know, it wasn't just lip service because I, I always felt like no, they did. They both did some homework on it, you know, and yeah, especially Simonson. Yeah. I would say I think Simonson was really yeah. into well, it Simonson anyway, was but... working off of a real legend or myth, whereas Wonder Woman is a comic book character. You know, he he she didn't have the mythology. He he taught Perez tied her into mythology. Okay, back to my ignorance. Is Thymascara something that was just sort of cobbled together for the comics, or it's not? It wasn't there. Is there a legendary Thymascara? I mean, it sounds like it, but it also sounds like somebody put the words thy and mascara together. And I, I could be dead wrong about this, but my understanding is that Hippolyta and the Amazons are an actual. Right. Um, and like the, their names are like thing. and their names are like real goddess names. Okay, I looked up uh, Themyscira on uh, Wikipedia. It says Themyscira is a fictional unitary sovereign city state and archaeological island nation appearing in American comic books published by DC Comics, previously known as Paradise hmm. Island and the Amazon Isles. It first appeared in All-Star Comics number eight. I don't know. I'm just trying to see if it's got anything here where they say it's got a history in uh, classic the, uh, mythology. I don't see that. I mean, I'm skimming it. Yeah, it sounds like they it just, sounds like they just came up with Paradise Island and then they later came up with, you know, try to make it a little bit more sophisticated and give it, you know, a real name and everything. The, I, I know this is super flimsy, but one of the, the things that sticks in my mind that makes me think that at least the Hippolyta and the Amazon portion of it has some basis in, in mythology is because. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, when, there is a goddess Diana and Hippolyta and right. all of them. All of them but but. I mean, when, 
when Wonder Woman meets Hercules, the, the Marvel Universe Hercules in JLA Avengers, she says she makes a remark about Hippolyta. She goes, Aren't, are you the, the, you know, are you the basically are you the mythological Hercules? That was the spoiler of of Hippolyta. And he says, well, I wouldn't put it that, you know, exactly that way. But, yeah, more or less. Yes. And then she beats the shit out of him. So why would Marvel's Hercules get that reference if that wasn't tied to actual mythology that that i mean i again i know that's super flimsy but that's what makes me think that at least that character uh has a basis in mythology you know even i think you're right i think it does i'm saying themiscara i think does not right right i think that is a I, i based upon my very very brief uh you know research that i just did now uh it's my impression that that is a comic book creation. Right. Well, I, but the characters, I think they, they did pull from mythology. I don't know whether I should be proud or ashamed to say it, but I mean, most of my knowledge of mythology when it comes to, you know, like Greek and, and Norse and everything that comes from comic books, man, it's not, yeah, from that's, actually- that's where it's- most of mine comes from. So you're, <laughs> you're not the only one in that boat. <laughs> you know, it'd be different. You know, you're, North Norse Norse mythology kind of throws me off a little bit because I really had no familiarity with Norse mythology other than Thor in the comic books. But then you see, you know, how prevalent it is, you know, that we have days of the week named after it, Uh, you know, that it just seems like, wow, we should I should have had a greater knowledge of this, you know, beforehand. But alas, I did not. Right. Yeah, you know, when it comes to, you know, you talk about like Bible stories or something, I'm like, okay, I'm much more versed on that stuff because, you know, it's, 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 you know, part of my, my religious upbringing. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, the mythologies and everything, it's like, yeah, there's what you retain from school and that, you know, and what you get from comic books for me. And that's, that's about it, really. So, <laughs> and Gene Hendricks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I, I asked you know, a question. I mean, did did DC man did they ever have it better? Did they ever have it so good as when Byrne was on Superman and Perez was on Wonder Woman? I, I just don't think there's a better era for DC Comics than than when that was happening. Yeah, no, that's like Lennon McCartney type era, except yep. they're in different bands. But still, it's yeah, it's just yeah. The only time i can think of would maybe be john's on green lantern that was some yeah that was some good stuff yeah well you ready for grades ready to go talk Aaron, about the cover. Book, buddy. now's the time to talk about the cover. now's the time okay <laughs> the cover i'm giving it an a it the use of shadow this this is cheetah she's not wearing a suit she is furry <laughs> um it's just, yeah, the cover, I'm giving an A. The story, this whole book, I'm giving an A. I just, I can't, I love this story. I'm so glad I, I picked it because I was like, well, you know, we're doing something tied to 101, 1984. Cheetah's the main bad guy. When did she come out? Oh, a comic I actually own. <laughs> yeah, this is this is how you portray an actual Cheetah Cheetah rather yeah. than, say, the movie. So I wish she had faced Chester Cheetah, though. 
Uh, sadly, we will. I don't think we'll ever get the rights to that crossover. Chester Cheetah. <laughs> I hardly even know her. She's got one heck of a chest. Of, oh, is that the uh, is that the guy from the Cheetos commercials? Yes. Yeah, yes. man. Okay. Dangerously cheesy. He's he's too cool. He's, he's too cool, cool to fight. Cool Cheetah. Her. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, man, chill out with some Cheetos. Sorry, Aaron, we're stepping all over your review, buddy. (laughs) I mean, we've talked a a lot about it, and so I'm kind of I'm kind of out of stuff to talk about. It's just this book is a class. I'm giving it an A plus on the art department. Like I like John Byrne and and um, Perez. Like there's something about, especially when like they ink themselves or they have a nice big thick inker on them that just pushes all my this is beautiful art button. And Perez even has like a thicker, heavier inking hand than Burn, and it's just so appealing to me that it was just I just drank in every panel. Um, story, um. I'm 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 gonna lean towards the A rather than a B, and the cover is is an A. My only, if I had to have a quibble with it, I would turn your eyes to panel one of page seventeen, and say when you're drawing a character with cheetah spots, and that character's butts up in the air, you really should pay attention to placement <laughs> of, of of cheetah spots that's all i'm gonna say on that there i don't know if that was conscious unconscious or a mistake but pay attention buddy pay attention (laughs) i'm going to say editorial probably got involved on that one if they did they uh they were they gave it the thumbs up so to speak no there there should there's a spot missing that's what i'll say well and and there should be some also on the bottom of her feet too so right well yeah but but like like I I don't know I would just if I was if I had that on my editing desk I would say oh wait a minute but other than that <laughs> A's all around it's an A A issue A plus I'll give it an A plus because man it was just a pleasure to read it it was and it was the third one I read and I was just like okay here I go again and then it was just ah breath of fresh air right bath Perez bath. <laughs> <laughs> bathed in sweaty Perez. Yeah, I think it was a vast improvement reading this one third. I'm glad it was the one that came along third. Uh, and you, usually, as we get later, sometimes I, I like it, I like them less. But in this instance, it, it definitely uh, brought it up a level. I would say uh, the cover. There's something about the layout of the cover. I feel like I'm repeating myself that I'm just not totally thrilled with. I think the artwork is really good, but I'm just not thrilled with the layout. Uh, it almost, it almost, it almost falls into place like a, a split book to me, like you know, like the Tales to Astonish or something like that. So I'm gonna say a B plus on the cover, or actually I'm gonna say just a plain A on the cover. Whereas the interior art, I'm going to give an A+. Uh, and the story, I, I think the story is really solid. I think it tends to get lost because the artwork is so nice that you kind of 
almost downplay the story, but I think the story is really solid also. So I'm, I'm going to give this story an A. I'm giving the book an, an A. I think this is a really good one. I'm going to echo much of what you said, Paul. Um, there's something about the cover that, that I, I, I don't dislike it. I think it's a good cover. I don't think it's a great cover. And I think the two biggest problems I have with it are the coloring. Um, the purple somehow is very detracting for me, you know, coupled with the dark background behind the cheetah, the purple just doesn't quite work. And then there's something a little bit off with Diana's face, mostly her. eye. I think if she had blue eyes, it might fix this whole thing for me. But for some reason, she has Deanna Troy eyes and a little bit of crazy eye, too. She has like a little bit of lazy eye, actually, in the one eye. And it just kind of throws the the symmetry of the cover off for me. But I don't think it's terrible or anything. I'm just it's not as good as the rest of the book. So cover, I think I'm going to give an A minus. Everything else in this book, I'm going to give an A plus. I love the interior art. There's there's hardly a, a, a panel or anything out of place or anything weird or anything like that. I, I think it's beautifully drawn, beautifully illustrated. I think this inking could be a little stronger, maybe a little more consistent, because I, I think the reason that Bob Smith is thanked in the credits is, I, if memory serves, I think he probably assisted with some of the inks. Mm-hmm. which may contribute to the inks being just a slight bit inconsistent throughout the book. But it's a it's a really minor quibble. I really do love the art throughout. And uh, and I love the story. I really love the story. I, I think this is a great issue story-wise from start to finish. Uh, it's very engaging. And these characters uh, were very real to me. And... Like I said, it's been a long, long time since I've read this, but as soon as I, you know, got just a couple of pages in, it was it was like visiting old friends. It was just, you know, I, I suddenly remember, oh yeah, Mindy Mayer, you know, and it's terrible what happened to her. And then I have no idea whatever happened to Julia and her daughter, but I really liked Julia's character because she she came off as completely believable because she's not a comic book character. She's a real person. She, she reminds me of people I've known in my life, you know, that were just simple human people. And I I really liked that. And I liked Vanessa. And for some reason, for a long, long time, I thought that wonder girl, the modern day wonder girl was Vanessa grown up and she's not. And then that got me to thinking, well, then who the hell is Casey Sandsmark, who is the modern wonder girl? So I did some looking into that, and somewhere along the line, Vanessa and her mom drop out and are replaced by Cassie and and her mom, who are almost the same goddamn characters. So I don't know what happened uh, there. Not quite. Her mom's her mom's a lot different. <laughs> I'll, 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 yeah, but I'll... I mean, as far as her resume, though, she was like a Greek archaeologist or something, which is kind of sort of what Julia was. And then, uh, you know, Cassie was you know a young girl that was infatuated with Wonder Woman, which is what Vanessa was. So well, I, I was just kind of thrown maybe, by. Maybe I'm thinking of future retcon, but her mom became like one of those overbearing stage moms when Cassie's powers started being developed. And she tried to really. Is that an. Uh, was that the uh, like a post? Uh, there was like a new fifty-two thing or something, though, wasn't it? Later, later, because I know they did tweak her later on and made her 
different. It, it was whenever um, Jeff John started writing Teen Titans. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm... So, so that's what I know her from is. Right. Yeah, she was she was overbearing stage mom. Hmm. I don't know. It, it bears some looking into because you know while I love this era uh, of Wonder Woman, um, I didn't stick with it much beyond Perez. I tried. But uh, it, it eventually lost me because I felt like it began to w- without Perez as the as that stabilizing influence on it and that really powerful influence on the book. I felt like it very quickly lost its way. And, and sadly, I felt like it very quickly uh, retrograded back to kind of the I, don't know, I, I hate to be denigrating to all the people that worked on wonder woman pre-crisis but it just kind of, it fell back into the same schlock it had been because I, I don't know if you any of you guys have ever read like say like the last couple of years of wonder woman right you know, like leading up to the crisis but it's shit i mean the art was terrible the stories i think the story i can't remember who the writer was but i mean i think the stories were trying but they just you know, it's like you could tell their heart wasn't really in it, and they knew that they weren't they weren't the A team. You know, they so they weren't bringing their A game, and they had like I want to say it was like Don Heck, like right at the end. I mean, Ooh. I've never really liked Don Heck anyway, but it was like Don Heck at the end where he just was like it, just not bringing it. So it was just very, you know, it's one of those books where you're like, how is this still even being? You know, like who's buying this? You know, which I think is why those issues are expensive now, because nobody was buying them, you know. Uh, I've got, uh, uh, according to Mike's, Julia's and Vanessa's last appearances was in Wonder Woman 41. Hmm. Not counting a Christmas issue. But uh, But maybe that's what. What series? uh, Still still Perez run. Series. Uh, oh, wow. So volume, volume two, September of 89. Huh. Yeah, I would have I would have still been reading it then. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to refamiliarize myself with that and find out what, what happened, because I've just been curious, like, what became of those characters? You know, like, where where did that go? I just don't remember. Oh, that's part of the fun of being a comic geek. And now we have the Internet. <laughs> Makes right. it a lot easier to find character backstories than it, than it used to be. Well, I definitely appreciate you bringing this book and uh, and joining us on the show. I I enjoyed this a lot. This was a really good one to read. My friends, it was an honor. Listening to just just you and and uh, and uh, Chris talk, I was like, I was having um, Star Wars Monthly Monday flashbacks. I'm just sitting here smiling big. I'm like. I'm actually a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so very much for the invitation. This this was a great evening. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. 
Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Bill? Bill, Bill, Bill?